0: Do you think anyone took my prediction of Gorman as a serious, valid prediction?
1: Yeah, I think so. A, a lot of people went to the bookies. A lot of people lost their houses, Andy.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, I have done an awful lot of... I have put an awful lot into into telling people that I know nothing about boxing. Do you think that
1: will soften the blow? or That's a bluff. Listen, <laughs> you know, once you say that, that qualifies you to promote. You know that, right? <laughs> oh, God, I'm the
0: And welcome to the Nerds Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White. And with me today, Mr. Cherry. <laughs> I always called you Cherry Tapandama then.
1: It suits me. Sometimes that's who I am. Cherry Tapandama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, How are you doing, Terry?
0: Yeah. How was your christening last week?
1: Oh, shit. That's where I was last week. Um, It was good, actually. Like, I had two mates have christenings within a fortnight of each other. So it was just pretty much the same crowd. It was nice. Uh, It's life-affirming being around good people. I can't put it any other way. So it definitely reinvigorated my will.
0: Hold on, that happens every Sunday, right?
1: No, Andy, (laughs) Andy, no, Andy, Andy. Hopefully
0: that won't make any more sense to you. I'm not going to go into it right now, but hopefully there'll be no context given for that.
1: Rest in peace.
0: <laughs> there will be some people that get that.
1: Uh, Rest right. in peace, Percy Pringle. Is that his name? Percy Pringle, Paul I Bearer's know real name. Bearer. That's not even his real name, is it? His well, real name's yeah, like
0: James. Obviously not. But
1: so like James Brooks. If your something. last
0: name was Bearer, who would call their son Paul? <laughs> that's really, that's really really bad.
1: Oh, if I was if I was a small hall boxer, that would be my nickname. If I boxed on a second rate circuit, I'd definitely call myself Terry the Paul Bearer.
0: <laughs> so um just to recap what i said to you when i picked you up i didn't know that dubois was fighting uh although i, I you know what i didn't really think about well, it because well, no, no, i no. should have done no, i no, predicted you, it last
1: sunday no, no. you knew he was fighting oh you, yeah, you, yeah you somehow managed to conspire not to engage in any of the yeah. events of yesterday. I did have a gig last night. That is But my, mate, I'll give you my, ru- my...
0: excuse. I mean... You, Let me give you my wristband. Regular listeners will know that it doesn't matter if i got a gig or not. Mate,
1: no, I'll give you my wristband. So you go to work tomorrow, you can just say you were there.
0: Oh, cheers, mate. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Right. So, MTK happened in Liverpool on Friday. Frank Warren's show happened in Saturday. You've got... Uh, on this list you've given to me, you said DAZN had a show on Thursday in Rome.
1: Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely, yeah, they did. Of, of all the random shit ever, Thursday night boxing on Sky. Right. Okay. So, so we've discussed this many times, and I don't think we're clear on exactly what DAZN are trying to do. Is it that they're trying to mirror Sky's footprint so they can compete when key sports rights come up? Don't know. Are they lining themselves up so they can just jump into Sky's shoes as some kind of integration? No idea. But what it means is you get a shitload of Italians that we don't know fighting a load of Brits we barely care about. So the highlight of that yesterday um, on Thursday night was probably Marcus Morrison return delivering...
0: Of yeah,
1: re- Return of the crack, essentially, man. He absolutely cracked this Italian guy. I think it's Bladamura. Like... Basically, I didn't even know who this guy was. It was, I'll tell you what it was like. <laughs> if anyone's old enough to remember that ITV boxing in the 90s, when you had guys like Robert McCracken boxing on ITV, and you had like Henry Wharton, and all these sort of old school, hard as nails, kind of just like club fighters. Now, McCracken was better than that, to be fair. I think McCracken was a better boxer than his reputation would suggest. But it was that kind of crowd, Nicky Piper and those sorts of people and it felt like that really cheap production values a bit like bit half-hearted is what it generally felt like but happy to see marcus morrison make that first step on the road to redemption you know absolutely iced the italian guy and like he, he and the weird thing is i'm watching this italian guy and they said he'd fought for the european title but he got hit with the same right hand like five or six times in a row and made no adjustments which tells you that sometimes, as much as people say they're experienced in boxing, you can still be thick as two short planks. Um, who else fought on that? Tommy McCarthy fought on that, but the less said about it, the better. But it, And it points back, Andy, to the issue we've got now with Hearn Sky and zone. The Dillian White fight, which we're going to preview further down the line, isn't doing the numbers they thought it would do. So instead of Hearn going, that's my money making machine, he's swanning off to Italy of all places. He's focusing his energies elsewhere. Why? So, I think there's a power play here, isn't there, between Hearn and Sky, where he's he's essentially saying to Sky, I'm the main man. I'm the reason your boxing platform is what it is. And I need you to recognize that. And when I tell you, increase your budget for rights fees, you should do that. Or I'll just go to the zone." increases budget for what rights fees yeah so so let's say you put on a show and everyone's going to put money into the pot right uh-huh. the broadcaster puts some money into that pot and then they hope to make it back on the other side yeah so zone basically said to her here's a billion well a theoretical billion uh, okay. right
0: so she's decrease their budget for making yes. fights. Yes.
1: Sky Which would buck everything. Because look, HBO just pulled out because they said we're not making enough money in this boxing thing. It's not, it's just not what we want to be doing. So they pulled out. And then Showtime have definitely retreated. So you, it leaves ESPN and DAZN as being the platforms who are expanding. And Hearn sees where boxing's headed. And he's saying to Sky, you're either with me or you're not. And he's, you know, he's, He's hitched his wagon to DeZone. I think the expression I used in our group chat was, "Hearn's just looking for a sugar daddy." What I don't understand is, how
0: was it? Would it have just been an oversight by Sky to allow Hearn to have gone and worked with DeZone whilst he's on the contract of them, or well, would it have been something that they? I mean, surely it's not a good thing from their perspective.
1: Well, so let's let's look at when the contract was signed. You did really. You didn't think this zone thing was going to have legs. You're like, well, ESPN's got that market cornered, right? That's what you'd naturally think. So Sky were probably cocky and went, well, why would Hearn want to leave us? We're Sky. We're better than anything else in this country. And so the contract probably just went, yeah, we'll work together. Um, Hearn has you know, sole responsibility for putting content on Sky, but they probably didn't lock him into an exclusivity clause. And now Hearn's like, well, I can work with whoever I want, which leaves Sky begging him for, come on, can you help us out here? And Hearn's like, I'll do my best, but I can't guarantee anything. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you look at this Dillian White buildup, it's almost like he's sending a message out to Dillian, to Sky, to everyone, that if he's not heavily involved in it, it's not going to do the numbers. He's, he's almost trying to say that, you know, that that whole hern eddie hernanator sort of nonsense where he just starts full-on herning and selling and shit what do you think to the card
0: because it's not selling well people isn't capturing people's imagination
1: well look i've seen people tweet about you know the numbers and stuff and it's it's been quite trolling actually i think people are trolling what is essentially uh a good card right dillian fights revers whatever you want to say Revis has the right to be in the ring with Dillian. There's not; it's not like there's light years in quality between them. Because essentially, Dillian's best win is Joseph Parker. The rest of them, we can kind of find reasons to be like they were good wins, but they're not world level wins.
0: And you include and Chisora f- in that just because Chisora is not he wasn't well, world Chisora,
1: level. He, well, he not even that, but it's not the Chisora of old. That's for sure. You know, it's a Chisora who was getting bullied and sparring by novices, right? Okay. just to add context we know what lucas brown's really about so that wasn't necessarily a massive win so so dillian i think he's earned his spot where he is now but to to pretend that revis icing jennings isn't a win comparable to dillian's wins except for joseph parker i don't know so i think revis is there by right but where is white that's the, that's the question I have. i put White at joint number four with Luis Ortiz. I'd love those two to fight because that would give us clarity around a lot of things. And I think it would be a hell of a fight too. So so you'd put Rivas as a legitimate opponent
0: for anyone, Dillian White or down, I presume, in, the, in your... Yeah,
1: look. If, if Fury had fought Rivas instead of Schwartz, I think we'd have been okay with that. I put Rivas in that Brian Jennings category. We're going to talk about Brian Jennings later. He's in that sort of category where, if you heard he fought for a world title, it wouldn't be a travesty, is how I describe it.
0: Well, I, it's difficult to to say if he'd have fought instead of Schwartz because, I mean, Schwartz was was awful, wasn't he? Like Martin seemed genuinely offended yesterday that that
1: fight even took place. Well, well, you know, you know, like in 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 the theme of last week's show, I don't think we should be you know, talking in that way that we've never been in the ring. We don't know how good or bad Schwartz is. <laughs> mm. um, no, no, no. all seriousness, look, Martin's right. Schwartz isn't on Fury's level. I don't think Schwartz beats Christian Hammer. I don't think Schwartz beats Erkan Tepper. So, you know, Fury went in there. That's a gimme. So now Fury's next fight is likely to be Jarrell Miller. Fair enough. We'll take that. And then we're- Will we? Yes, because- we were willing to take it for AJ. So why were willing we willing to take yes, we were. we were and
0: we were calling him out.
1: People Oh, 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 are we allowed to call promoters out now? <laughs> Sorry, I thought we'd ban that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, what I'm saying is we Ooh. And I also said I'll also admit that we we also um <clears throat> I say we, or at the very least, I uh called him I also called out the Ruiz as being a load of rubbish, which then post fight maybe once again, humbled me. Made me realise that I know nothing about boxing.
1: Nothing! No, no but but Ruiz was, Ruiz had always been in that tier. That Brian Jennings, Oscar Rivas tier. That's always where Ruiz had been. But he showed that... So, So this is just my theory on things. I think if you took the top 10 heavyweights and you took heavyweights ranked from number 31 to 40... And had them spar in a round-robin tournament, right? And you just watch them spar. You wouldn't know who was top 10 and who wasn't. Honestly, the gap is not that great between these that guys. That is well, the same what? for most sports, no, 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 though, No, it? no, No, so bear with me then. Okay. The right. difference is between these top 10 guys, they can cope with a week of media pressure. They can cope with a week of weigh-ins and press conferences and so forth. And they can still execute when there's 17,000 in the arena. What Andrew Ruiz showed us is he can maintain his level on the biggest stages at a time when I don't necessarily think he's better than Joshua. I think he was better at maintaining his performance level while Joshua started to deteriorate. That's what I think happened on that night. So if you say to me, do I think Joshua has more in his locker than Ruiz? Potentially. Do I think Joshua will struggle to deliver all of that under the kind of pressure that he's under? Possibly. Do I think Ruiz will be the best he can be on fight night? Absolutely. He looks like a guy that's just that mentally strong. Okay. Um,
0: so have you said all you can say about zone on Thursday?
1: The zone Italy thing is turning into a bit of a bust. Like, Hearn's just basically, any flotsam and jetsam he has in his roster, he's just sending out to Italy to make up the numbers. We generally don't care um and that's you know and 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 i think we should as boxing fans when promoters give us trash we should call them out on it because that's the only way they'll stop giving us trash that italian card was trash and hearn should get back to doing what he does best if you remember there's an ifl <sighs> interview
0: he's bulletproof to criticism you, you know he sat there and went if i put him in with someone that you know he's gonna he's expected to beat people say he's a bomb and but if I put him in with someone that's going to, it's a tough fight, nobody's ever happy and just started moaning about the fact that people weren't happy with the fact that he wasn't putting AJ into a genuine matchup.
1: But he didn't. No, no, let's be clear about this. Let's not be wise after the event. He didn't put him in with someone who was genuine. He didn't. He just it, got lucky? Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> it, it's it's a perverse form of luck, yeah. but luck nonetheless, right? He he's lucky that it turned into the event that it turned into and that it's given him another payday that he doesn't even have to bother trying to sell.
0: That's but luck. He's clearly trying he's clearly having to bother negotiating.
1: Well, look. That's what happens when listen, when lawyers read documents and they go that could mean any number of different things. And and so here's the challenge. I know Martin said I had a theory on this. I really don't have a theory on it. I just have an opinion. Like I always do about most things. Maybe I shouldn't. Because I haven't really lived. I don't know. (laughs) Look. You have a position where Ruiz has all the aces. He can take this to court. And in the time that it takes to go through the court process, the belts go vacant. So even if Joshua wins, he loses. Ruiz could unilaterally vacate the belts. They're scattered. Joshua loses. All he has now is a chance at redemption. There's nothing Joshua can do. Can he stop Ruiz boxing? Potentially, but Ruiz has more money than he thought he'd ever make in boxing. You're not going to press gang him into doing anything he doesn't want to do. So if you want that rematch, you have to make it worth Ruiz's while. He has all the aces. So I think I said it way back when, if the rematch does happen, it will not happen in the UK. They don't have, or do you know what? Because they would have done that by now. They would have locked in the venue by now if they could do it in the UK. They have to ask Team Ruiz. And the longer they do it, the longer they drag this out, sorry, the more I believe it starts to pray in Joshua's mind, what actually happened. Because you can have all the bravado and the adrenaline in the immediate aftermath of a fight. And it's been about five, six weeks now, but eventually it starts to eat away at you. Am I as good as I think I am? What if Ruiz can get better? I don't want to get knocked out again. He could really hurt me. He could end my, all these thoughts will start to creep in and is Joshua mentally resilient enough to cope with that? Everything swings towards Ruiz, the more this drags out and the the increasing complexity to the negotiations. In AJ's position, I'd just say, give him what he wants, let's make the fight. So you can only focus on one thing, is, is what I would say. Uh,
0: the Saudi show...
1: Um... um. I'll be honest with you, I've seen bits of this. So by way of context, I don't know why the Saudi Arabians wanted boxing. It was originally meant to be Amir Khan versus someone from India, India versus Pakistan. You know, let's build a bridge between the communities. You know, there there, there are a lot of pretty good and honorable messages in in amongst all of that. But then (laughs) injuries and so forth meant that we ended up with Amir Khan versus Billy Dib. Billy Dib's a career lightweight really around about that time he was more famous for being affiliated to mayweather back in the day i think he's australian muslim that sort of thing and he's fighting amir khan who's clearly a lot bigger than he is they just amir khan battered him utterly pointless fight now we've got khan talking like he's back again and we've got here this pacquiao nonsense again and so it boils down to and i say this again as boxing fans what's more important to you do you really care about Emmett khan's career now can he no. give you can he give you the experiences you want as a boxing fan no. and if he can't make your voices known and say mate we think you should retire retire and and then you go to Huey fury now i'm not going to say too much cuz i know porky russ will do justice to this on his channel porky's corner I know he will be honest and impartial in giving his verdict on Huey Fury. So I'm looking forward to that. But I will say this, Huey Fury's on the verge of becoming irrelevant. He is, he's of the same generation of guys like Yoka, Parker, uh, Joyce even. He's of that generation where we want to see him regularly fighting those guys, Dave Allen. So why isn't he? because he's got Mick Hennessy as his promoter people just don't want to work with Mick 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 I don't even know how how Mick has survived in boxing this long after the careers he's ruined is beyond me like like Jesus if you if you really want your career to go nowhere either go to either go to the other guy who we don't mention anymore or go to Mick Hennessy Jesus like oh. And it's sad because I'm sure there's young, ambitious, hungry promoters like a Carl Greaves that could do a lot more with Huey Fury given half the chance. But this is boxing.
0: Uh, So let's move on to the MTK and Liverpool show Friday. I think Uh, there's
1: a wider context to this show. And I know there's a question from Rob Martin that comes about what's the future of small hall boxing? And if you remember, I was once ridiculed for saying the future of small hall boxing is being able to make fights with people from different locations. MTK are on the cusp of doing stuff, of achieving this. So the card on Friday was essentially what you... And I want to be respectful when I say this because there's logic behind it. Who are you and what have you done with Terry? It's... (laughs) It's a recycling card. So you're taking guys who are good, who've had a bit of a rocky patch, and recycling them. So you know, we, we remember Jazza Dickens having his jaw broken by Rigondale. So he's building on his way back. You know, Jazza Dickens is doing his... Yo, know, he's built that profile. He, he won comfortably on Friday. Would like to see him fight someone like a Josh Whale. I think that's a good lancashire yorkshire thing i'm sure you can get it on mtk and hobson promotions have a good relationship that would be a good fight martin murray's back um i think i've warmed a bit to martin murray now as he's got older and i quite like the fact that he's resilient enough that he wants to keep giving this a go he must be at least 36 now and he's still going but i don't know where you put martin murray do you then put martin murray in with the with the liam williams And just to see, is Liam Williams really of that level where he can start to call out guys like Danny Jacobs? And then you had Terry Flanagan, who had lost to Maurice Hooker and Regis Progre. No shame in that. That's, you know, half of a good career is who did you test yourself against? Losing to those two guys isn't a shame for me. I still think Flanagan is top end of European bottom end of world if he gets his act together. So you recycle him and maybe, and I don't know if Crawler's retired or not, but maybe a Crawler or Ricky Burns is in line for a Flanagan, you know, get these last few paydays before you retire. And then Natasha Jonas flooring and beating Beck Connolly. And I like Beck Connolly. She's a, she thinks she's out of Swindon. She's a mum of four kids. Yeah. So people need to really respect Becca Connolly for this. She's a mother of four kids she might have been ex-forces as well, and she's trained. She hasn't got a great record. I think she's two and five, but I love the fact that she keeps going. She trains with Paddy Fitzpatrick, real class act of a lady. So I like, I just, just, I just respect that story. You know, your your mom, you've got to deal with your domestic duties. I don't think there's a dad involved, so I think she's a single parent, and she's managed to make everything work. So I really respect that. But yeah, so MTK card. That's what I think you can expect from MTK now is those kinds of cards where they'll have the recycling cards where you get the old names coming back. There's a bit of nostalgia value and it's a good night out for not much money. And then the one like they had at York Hall on the O'Hara Davis show where you had their prospects fighting each other. And then I look at that and I go, so what use is a small hall promoter if MTK are giving us the things we want and are willing to pay for? at the same price point the answer is i don't know anymore i think some of these small hall promoters are essentially anachronisms it was an old way of doing things that worked but now mtk are saying we've got the budget that we can make any fight happen in the country because we will finance it if we need to so fair play to mtk i'm 110 percent on board with this as long as they keep doing this and they give the fans what they want
0: so that leaves us then to talk about the Frank Warren show on Saturday.
1: Oh man, you let me know where you want to start.
0: Okay, um, right. As I, as I've already um, covered, I was at a gig last night. I was also working yesterday, so not that the working interfered with my with my uh, ability to watch the the fight, but the the fact is, I I didn't get home and then turn the fighting on. I was knackered so anyway that's a long way of saying i don't really know what happened last night i know what happened in regards to dubois versus gorman because i got uh called out on twitter for uh not having a clue what i'm talking about which i thought was odd because i mean come on everyone knows that um but i don't know what i'm talking about so i would like to start with i would like to start with joyce jennings
1: because I don't know what happened. Okay, so let, let, let let's 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 go back to front. The reaction Joyce has got for beating Brian Jennings has been absolutely shocking. Oh, okay. It has it, jo- Joe Joyce takes on Brian Jennings, who Brian Jennings is a top 10 heavyweight. I I, I think we can we can comfortably say that because I can't name nine guys better than Brian Jennings based on what they've done in the ring. Like there are guys with greater potential perhaps but not guys with in-ring achievements where you can make them comparable. It was Brian Jennings that softened up Vladimir for Tyson Fury. Let's remember that. So he fought him in April 2015, took him the distance, and then Fury then, you know, did the did the rest of the business. So congratulations, you know, for Jennings and his career. That was a fight Joe Joyce needed because that fight says Joe Joyce is definitely top 15 in the world right now. Now, he didn't look amazing doing it. And I think people were disappointed because he didn't ice him. But Jennings is a clever guy. That really high guard he has, you assume you can get to the body, but his arms are so long that he can hold a high guard and still protect his body. And I think Joyce struggled with that. And what he wasn't able to do, and because Joe isn't... He's not necessarily a thinking boxer, and we'll come on to this later joe wasn't able to draw jennings into making mistakes that he could capitalize on he wasn't setting traps and someone as canny as brian jennings and i've seen brian jennings sparring we've all seen those videos and he's a crafty guy he knows when to let go and he knows when to cover up and joe just couldn't read the situation which comes when you've only had 10 fights you know, he wasn't, he was struggling to read the situation. He wasn't sparring guys that are anything like Brian Jennings either. So I can see why he labored to a win, but there's no debate that he won that fight. And we should be congratulating Joe because now we should be saying, Joe Joyce should fight the winner of Price versus Allen. That's what we should be calling for because we need clarity. Like at British level, there are too many names swerving each other. So Joe Joyce versus Dave Allen. That that's the fight I want to see Joe involved in. Uh, I think he needs to work on a few things. He started off trying to be loose and calm, and you know he was back to the Ishmael Salas Joe Joyce. And then he took a body shot, which, mate, if you see that the way he reacted to that body shot, ah oh, man, Nathan Gorman would be licking his chops at that. You know, like it looks like you know someone hadn't done their sit ups, but essentially. If we strip it back, Joe Joyce is a guy that's just going to overwhelm you with a lot of heavy shots. And eventually, your will's just going to break. And then that's when he capitalizes. He's not an amazing finisher, but he can grind you down. That's his gift. I don't think he needs to try and be clever and try and be a sharp shooter, a super technical boxer. The, the juggernaut thing works. So you wouldn't have seen the fight, but those guys who saw the fight, they had a great camera angle where it was pointing up from joe joyce's waist up to his face and he did this thing that i'm now calling the juggernaut run because you know he's a big guy he's 18 stone something and he does this really weird run where it doesn't look coordinated but it just looks like a big lump moving forward it looks like a juggernaut and i love that juggernaut run of his because it's joe it's joe all over and I like Joe Joyce. I've known him since his Earlsfield days. And I really want to see him challenge for a world title. And I don't think there are guys there that are going to outclass Joe. They might catch him with a power shot, but they're not going to outclass Joe because he's not going to let them. So let's see, you know, let him fight the winner of Price versus Allen. And then maybe re- maybe have that Olympic rematch with Tony Yoka and let's move from there. But good performance from Joe. Yeah, beating Brian Jennings is not easy. So congratulations to the guy for doing his thing. Um, I have a question regards to Joyce.
0: At his age, how much development can he have left? He so,
1: 32? So, 33. 33. So, there's a myth. When people talk about learning fights, what they assume is you're creating new neural pathways and yeah, you're learning how to be, you're learning how to box in a different way. That's not what you're doing. What you're actually doing is you're taking what you already have and being more intelligent in how you apply it sometimes less is more sometimes you need to do more but you're not really adding much new so with joe it's more about how can he spot the opportunities and how can he maximize those using the tool set he already has he's not going to get any more technical than he is now was that under 90 seconds
0: yeah i think it was nice
1: who'd have thought it (laughs) Martin, Martin, <laughs>
0: right. Anyway, um, <sighs> you don't have um, Alan Price on this list. Of uh... I have a preview for it. Oh, you do. You do. Come on,
1: man. Like, who come mean? on. Don't, 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 don't listen. Don't confuse me with Betfair, Steve at the lights.
0: Anyway. Uh right. Steve. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a good one. Uh, sh- oh, okay. Williams versus Arthur. Yeah, so Liam Williams, maybe my favourite boxer from Wales now. Like wow, like he, he he's outranked the Selby brothers. So Liam Williams has had this renaissance since the loss to Liam Smith. Uh he's moved up to middleweight. And he's just running through people. So it's a second round knockout against is a Karrion Archer, a guy who is quite hard to stop. And Liam's just battered him. What I love about Liam Williams is this. He's so fundamentally sound that he actually just gets you with the basics. There's no rocket science to what he does. He's just a tough man that can deliver accurate shots with enough power to cause havoc. And when he's got you hurt, he gets you out of there. I saw him and Dominic, actually, Dominic Ingle, at the public workout on Tuesday. Uh, I did ask Dom how I could get traps like his. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the answer wasn't the the greatest response, but nah, he I was only messing with him. But just, he's, he doesn't look like a big man, but he looks like a guy who's got a big heart. And, I, you know, a lot of times they make him tough in that part of the world. So second round stoppage looks good. I want him to have a benchmark fight now. I'd like to see him in the ring with someone at middleweight where it will tell us if he's any good. I heard people say Seleski, maybe. Martin Murray, maybe. That's a, you know, for, for a fight you can make internally, yeah. But someone like that, you know, even like a Rob Brandt who lost to Murata over the weekend, I want to see him in a benchmark fight that says this guy can fight for a world title or he can't fight for a world title. But I love the run that Liam Williams is on and I'm genuinely happy and made up that he's he's almost had a new lease of life under Brendan Ingle. Dominic Ingle, apologies for that.
0: Sharp versus McCrory. I give you this. I give you this with 100% certainty. Um... Your writing is much better than Martin's. Martin's looks like hieroglyphics. Who's? Hmm? Martin's.
1: Martin! Martin! Uh, Who should I match him with next? Oh.
0: Sharp versus McCorry. Please.
1: Listen. <laughs> shots fired, man. Like, I didn't deserve what, ha- what happened in the last seven days. I didn't deserve that. <laughs> um, Archie Sharp versus... I think it's Jordan McC- McCorry. I'm a big Archie Sharp fan. I've been a fan of his since the amateur days. I saw him box at Elton. I saw him box at the Lynn. I like him because he's brave enough to be different. And he does it under pressure. He's not a guy who does all the flash stuff on the bags and does it on the pads and then goes conventional and sparring. He's just naturally awkward like that. And he's legitimately awkward. He boxes like O'Hara Davis used to box. (laughs) So when O'Hara was coming up in the amateurs in the Tunde Jai days, O'Hara was like that. It's rare you see guys throw hooks from long range. It's rare. But Archie's able to do do that with hooks and uppercuts. Freakishly long arms. Great talent. Does a bit of showboating, which, you know, does my head in. But he nearly had McCurry out in the third round with a sickening body shot. Just shoveled it in because he's got such long arms he builds that velocity kind of like tommy hearns does but maybe not with the same power but just a great young man 24 years old you know settled down with his family i think he's a stepdad and a dad great guy and he because he, he's friends with my guys so shouts out to richie rambo who so if anyone that saw the video richie's a guy that was holding the belt up with the dreadlocks you know a guy that yeah, you know, we've had a few training sessions together, but got a lot of love for Richie. You know, this is a boxing family. But Archie looked good. Um, do I want to see him in there with like a Zelfa Barrett? Probably not. Archie looks at his best when you come to make the fight. I think if you had someone like Zelfa and you've got two guys that like to counter, that like to sit on the back foot, it'll be a stinker. So I don't know who you get for him next. I was hearing, I think they said was it Sam Hyde? No idea. Or maybe it was that the cruiserweight? But someone of that ilk. And let's get him. Let's get him fighting the top end of the British, and see what happens. And I, I just, I like Archie. I want him to be brave enough to take that style up to the next level, and let's see what happens. But yeah, entertaining fight, and I, I enjoyed it.
0: Marku versus Broadbent. These are names I literally never heard of. So, Florian
1: Marku, you'll know because, you know, Martin's been on here, you know, and he's been evangelical about the support that Florian Marku has, right? And it's valid because... <laughs>
0: oh, all oh, those podcasts. Yeah, I remember those now.
1: Oh. Oh, yeah, nice ni- nice, that you, you invest so deeply in the product. <laughs> so, so, Florian Marku's an Albanian boxer. He's fought on a couple of Goodwin shows. And he's brought a significant following. Um, got to spend some time with him at the public workout on Tuesday. He's, quite, he's, he's a really nice guy. Um, we didn't speak too much, but we spoke briefly about the last fight at York Hall and some of the incidents there. I think he's a good guy. You know, he was with Josh Burnham. Shout out to Josh. But Florian Mark, who brings a hell of a following. I When I arrived at the O2 yesterday, I came in with a few of his fans. And I don't it's a strange one do i think he's got a bigger following in the uk than ted cheeseman no i've seen ted sell more tickets than florian marco i don't think anyone has brought fans that make more noise than florian marco's fans wow i was with john palata yesterday with florian fort and i said to john this is the benchmark of the following we need to create and i don't know how you do it but wow you know I was with all sorts of guys from Albania. I'm sure some of them have trafficked people over and stuff. I don't know. But there were a lot of serious guys oh, in that crowd. Sorry. No, no, there were. there were a lot, genuinely a lot of serious guys in that crowd. I'm sure they've trafficked people over. <laughs> because yeah, yeah, there were a lot of loud shirts, a lot of gold, a lot of Rolexes. Um it was good. I thought he performed well. He got the fourth round stoppage, it was a sixth rounder. So congratulations he he's this guy if you look at him 80 percent of his mass is from his nipples upwards so he's he's designed not to get knocked out and i think doesn't that make him top heavy kind of yeah he he's a small squat man but he just looks like if he wasn't boxing he'd be a local hard man somewhere he's just a guy that you wouldn't mess with and he boxed well i'd like to have seen him get him out out there sooner but look, that's his trainer's job. And I think over time, he'll do that. But he'll always be in entertaining fights. And you will love the energy that that crowd brings. Now, if we roll back a few weeks, we talked about that crowd kicking off and there was an incident involving, you know, Brooke posted on her social media. And I know Martin wanted to set on the fence on that, which is fair enough. I didn't see any of that at the Warren show. So I'm willing to put that your call incident down as a one-off which was good because that's what I was worried about. I was worried that you're going to get these guys and then everyone else was going to bring their fans and it would be a problem, but it wasn't. So fair play to, fair play to him. And I, I'd like to see him box again. And let's let's put him in some challenging fights now and let's see what he's capable of. What I don't want is for Florian Marku to be that guy that they say, well, we we'll just get him in to sell tickets and give him any old opponent. Give him a chance to be good and to show us how good he is. So I'm I'm definitely pro Florian Marku. I think that's the statement I want to come out of this.
0: You've got I know, I think this is John Pilata versus Does It Matter?
1: Yeah, look, when John fights, doesn't it matter. It could be it could be George Foreman, it could be anyone, man. JP's just he's running people over. So I've I've been in the room, I've not been in the room, and Martin's been Know, I don't know about John this John that, and I keep telling people, put the pressure on John, and John will deliver when he fought last year on on that guy's shows, it are great, you know, but John had been rusty he had he'd been inactive for a year, so he was getting match fit, and I said this to people, I said, you need to give John five fights so you can get the consistency back get used to training and fighting yeah old school way because that's how john responds best i wasn't listened to and i I don't think my views were appreciated fair enough it's life but once we got into the new and better situation now we know where we're at so the opponent they gave john is what i call a benchmark opponent we've discussed this already frank's put that guy in with loads of his other heavyweights in fact that guy fought one of steve goodwin's heavyweights i think it's phil williams and phil won on points john ran over this guy no one else has done that before now if you look at his record it's all points wins points wins points wins george fox points win uh craig glover fought this guy it's all points wins right the only people who have one-rounded him are John Pallata and Fabio Wardley. Now, I'd like to see those two fight in the next year, year and a half. So, that's a good benchmark, right? That lets fans know that John's not playing around. And he, i want to get very old school, very great tracksuit right now. He done him lovely. Left uppercut. He's done him, son. He done him Lovely. Yeah. Can I just
0: confirm? Are they grey tracksuit or are they grey head and tracksuit or are they grey head with also grey tracksuits? So, so,
1: well, you know, women really love grey tracksuits. Like mm-hmm. honestly, if you're if you want to take your relationship to another level, honestly, get yourself a grey Nike tracksuit. <laughs> Somewhere on the darker side of Marl, but uh, on so the lighter what, side of charcoal. Are these,
0: so are these grey tracksuit brigade blokes are they? Is that a symptom of their? Poor relationship status, or...
1: Could be. You know, I'm not a relationship doctor, but I should be. Um Clearly. But, but, us... but so... no. So, so, for me, John boxed well. Oh, okay. I'm always going to look and I'm always going to say... The mystery will forever be hovering around then. We'll come back to it. <laughs> John boxed really well. It's the best I've seen in box as a pro. He's almost getting back to what made him a terror in the amateurs. So... Now we need to transition that good performance into something a bit more educated as the opponents get harder and the rounds get longer. So how do we do more with less, but without sacrificing too much of the work rate? But John looked really good and I'm genuinely happy for him. The energy around him right now is good. Watching him at the public workout, the respect he has from his fellow stablemates at Ibox and other Frank Warren fighters. I'm happy because... I know there was a question last week about was John Pallotta tapped up? And there was an answer given. And all I can say is, and I'm going to use an analogy for all the parents out there of children that are school-going age. If your kid is in a school and the teacher is telling you that's a D pupil, that's a C plus D minus pupil, sorry, C minus D plus pupil, if your teacher keeps telling you that, but you know your child and you're like, my child is smarter than that. My child's here building computers from scratch at six years old. You know, if you're there and but you're being told by the teachers, he's not very bright, he's not this, he's not that. So we're going to put him in the remedial class. And then you take your kid out and you take your kid to a better school, a bigger school, a better school, better equipped school where the alumni go on to do great things and you put that kid there and now the kid's an A plus pupil, but he's maybe in this instance, I'm stretching it. He's a a solid A pupil. He's an A minus solid A pupil. You're going to have to look back on this school and go, you were holding my kid back. That was what it was. There was no tapping up involved. It was, you guys are holding him back. We're going to go to another situation and see, because you might be right, But let's go and see what he does at the other situation. Now he's flying. Yeah? Oh, John, John doesn't sell tickets. He doesn't sell enough tickets. Oh, what will I do? Five figures in ticket sales. On a car that was supposedly struggling to sell, the guy did five figures in ticket sales. These are the realities we're dealing with now. You put someone in a good platform and you say, mate, sink or swim? He's swimming and long may it continue because right now he gets to live his dream unencumbered by people's limited views. Like they knew what they were talking about. Hell no. I'm just happy for John because remember this Andy boxers get one chance to get it right as a trainer. I get it. I get it. I get a chance every day to get it right because I don't know who's going to walk through the door as a promoter. It's the same thing as a manager. It's the same thing. We don't know who's going to walk through that door. So, you know, you can't have guys getting on their own platforms and devaluing a box that was under their charge and talking. Or you can't have this unprofessional. It's unacceptable. And even when all of this BS was happening, I was saying to John, let's not jump ship yet. Let's see this through. Maybe they will come good. That was my view. I still trusted these guys until I then realized they ain't batting for us, so we moved. That's how this game works. Boxers don't have time to see if someone makes good on their promise. So, look, John's in a good place right now. Now it's on him. There are no barriers to John doing his thing. I can say, based on what I've heard, he has been giving top level heavyweights hell sparring he got sent home a week early he was that good that's where he's at now because he realizes this is everything he wanted you know i go all the way back to when we were sparring david and i said to him i was like this is the time you need to realize you belong at this level and now he's validating that with every experience he gets because He's class. And I'll go as far as to say, if Joshua's going to prepare for Andy Ruiz, if John Pilato's not one of his sparring partners, I don't believe he can win it. Because John's the guy that will give him that same sense of terror that Ruiz gave him.
0: Finally, Dubois versus Gorman. We did mention at the top of the show, but not with any sort of uh, breakdown analysis so Dubois makes short work of Gorman. Is no, like, no, no,
1: no, say? no, 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 no. Educate me, Terry. Educate making, me in no, the for me, for me, making short work of someone is when you do it without having to try. So if you look at those early Joshua fights, like when you fought Gary Cornish, that's making light work of someone. Or Matt Leg. Yeah. Like 40 seconds or whatever it was. Exactly. Or even Dorian Dutch. That's making light work of someone. What Dubois did is he skillfully nullified and then dominated Nathan Gorman. Nathan Gorman's a hell of a technician and he has a boxing brain. We often talk on the pod about that 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 benefit of boxing from being young you've boxed up the weights you've boxed through the age groups you know what it's like to face a kid throwing 70 or 80 punches so when by dint of genetics growth hormone and life you end up being a super heavyweight or a big lump like these guys are that advantage you don't lose that that ability to see the punches to see the dynamic to figure things out in nanoseconds picto seconds even you don't lose that so I invite anyone who hasn't seen this to just watch the first round so the first round's fascinating because Nathan's come Nathan Gorman's come in with a plan and Nathan Gorman's plan is when he jabs I hook and I come through with the right uppercut why that allows me to check his progress coming forward. And if I can't do that with the hook and he commits to being forward, I can uppercut him. So I win. If Dubois careless and rushes in, I'm going to get him. And eventually those uppercuts will take a toll. Sound tactics if you don't fully understand Daniel Dubois and how he's evolved, right? They're sound tactics. Makes sense. In theory, this is what you would do. So if you observe, Dubois comes in and goes, let me try and pose myself on Nathan and see what he has. And this is what makes Dubois unique. He experiments. He doesn't necessarily gather data. He runs a series of micro experiments throughout that initial round. So he he goes in with a double jab. Gorman checks him with the hook and goes, nah, I'm not letting you do that to me. But Dubois got caught because he moved in a straight line and he moved out in a straight line. So the next time he does the same attack, he pulls out to his left. Gorman misses with that left hook. Now Dubois goes, ah, there's an angle here for me. Perfect. So he's he's now found one way to nullify the counter left hook. Move further into the round, he has Gorman on the ropes and he goes in with a very heavy jab. But now he pulls straight back immediately. So the left hook just hits thin air. So now he's shown Nathan two different ways he's going to stop that counter left hook. The third time he does that, he now goes, I'm going to throw my right hand inside of your left hook. It didn't quite come off, but now we can see where the fight's going. So Nathan's tactics are now out the window. Originally it was left hook, right uppercut, or right uppercut, left hook. Dubois nullified this. By pulling back out of range as soon as he's done his work the second thing dubois then does is goes i'm going to jab him so hard he's going to fear this jab and so you watch him and dubois engages in some really clever feints with his hands his shoulders his eyes his feet he's just creating that psychological pressure on nathan and forcing nathan to reveal his hand is nathan going to come forward is nathan going to go back we don't know. So by the end of the first round, everything Ricky's given him in camp has failed, right? People said it was a close round. Yes, because Dubois was doing the micro experiments. So now in the second round, Dubois is like, I'm going to keep this five or six foot gap between us because you're trying to counterpunch me. So I'm not going to be there for you to counterpunch, which forced Gorman to come forward, which isn't what he wanted to do. And that turned Dubois into the counterpuncher, which they didn't think he could do. But those that know Daniel Dubois well know that he can counter punch too. So Daniel Dubois is making all of these adjustments independently of his corner. Mark shouts out to Martin Bowers and Andre Oli and all those guys that are in the corner with Dubois because they're clearly, you know, giving him that confidence to experiment. But he didn't even need Martin Bowers' instructions to, to nail down the formula. So by the third round, he now knows he can land the right hand and he can go to the body if he needs to drops nathan gorman now he's like i've got a 10-8 round nathan's going to get desperate now nathan's coming forward and dubois is like this is more of the fight that i want and they have some beautiful exchanges where they swing punches at each other and dubois you can see him he's he's growing bigger and bigger into this fight and now you now you realize that there's a gap in class between these two and it's not down to Dubois' power or his athleticism or all these banal expressions that are used to describe black fighters. It's because tactically Daniel has set himself up to nullify everything that Nathan's prepared for. And so by the fourth and fifth rounds, Nathan Gorman's desperate to establish some kind of authority in this fight. And by this point, Dubois is like, I now know how I'm going to take you out. And he's just looking for a way to get the right hand. Oh, just nearly bit the microphone there. He's looking for a way to get that right hand on Nathan Gorman's head. And eventually he did it. And that was Nathan Dunn. You can say he misjudged the count, but he was definitely dazed. And the post-fight interview told you that. But it was such an intelligent performance by Dubois. And it was a stark contrast to what he did against Richard Larty, where it almost looked like he just wanted to have fun in there and trade with a with another big lump and find out how strong he was but it was an impressive performance it was it was a thing of beauty to watch and so much subtlety and that's for Nathan as well because Nathan boxed at a really high level too like these guys were exchanging little micro experiments or exchanging these non-verbal cues you do something ah I acknowledge you did that now watch what I do it was watching two highly skilled and highly intelligent boxers Boxing at a level that Joshua can't do, Wilder can't do, the only guy that can do that at that level might be Tyson Fury and maybe at a push Lewis Ortiz. It was impressive.
0: So, based on what you said earlier, you think that Alan's going to beat David Price and the winner of those, t- uh, of sorry, and
1: so therefore, Debar should face Pro- uh, Alan. No, Joyce should face Alan. I think, I think think Dubois needs some maturation fights. He needs fights where all this good stuff we've just seen him do against Gorman, I want him to solidify. I want it to be part of what he does every time. So you need guys who who are going to be cute and canny and set traps for him, but are also going to try and win. So do you put him in with uh, Derek Chisora? Do you put him in with some of these grizzled old veterans? Um, I think you do. I think they're the sort of guys you put him in with. Not not necessarily your Dorian Darches, even though I like Dorian Darch, but those guys who will set different kinds of traps, you could put him in with Huey Fury. But he needs those guys who are going to force him to think and force him to break down whatever barriers they've put in front to stop him.
0: You mentioned before that before now, that we're looking for probably 2021 before we see the um, the coming of age of Dan Dubois to start competing at the highest level in the heavyweight division. Would I, you stick I, by that?
1: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. That will take him to about an additional seven fights. Yeah. And then depending on who's champion, why not throw his name in the mix? I think they'll be more scared of him than he is of them. But I also want you to go back, Andy do you remember one of the early podcasts when i put you guys on to daniel dubois uh
0: i remember his name coming up in the podcast
1: and i have no doubt at like all it was years dubois. ago and it people was... were like who are you most excited about and i said there's a kid called daniel dubois he hasn't turned over yet but when he does he'll be scary because he's i remember saying this he's wiping people out inspiring now and he was only like 18 back then And this is when he had the issue in going into the ABAs. And I just remember saying, this guy's just, he's special. And he's been a fixture of this podcast because he's that representation of a young kid that's just been super focused on getting to this level. And now he's here. He's still trying to elevate.
0: Okay. uh, In no particular order, we've got some questions. Would you like to deal with some questions, Terry? The correct answer is yes.
1: Yes. Okay. More questions.
0: Clarenton. Don't
1: ask me questions. Oh. I just want to promote. It. Dan
0: Glosier asks <laughs> VIP. Shout out to
1: Dan. Shouts out to Dan. Uh,
0: hello, gents. Hope you're well. Hello. Would, would like to hear your initial thoughts on the news of Bacoli signing with Hearn on the pod, please.
1: Look. Bacoli might be Billy Nelson's greatest ever sales trick. Like, you know, if you you'd almost believe this guy hadn't swallowed it against Michael Hunter. You know, Bacoli. Look, I'm still salty that he beat my mate Dom Dominic Akinladi. I'm still salty about that. But I'm yet to see this thing that everyone gets excited about. I think most of us could beat Marius Vak right now. The guy. They had to they had to bring the guy in on a crane, he's so immobile. Do you know what I mean? So that wasn't really a great win. So I don't know what you do with Bokoli. You just kind of have him in there. It seems here's my theory on this. If you've beaten Joshua up in sparring, right? And you keep quiet about it and you don't snitch and you don't tell tales, it looks like you get yeah, a maximum contract. That's the deal. If you keep quiet, we'll get you onto Matchroom. We'll get you televised. And that seems to be what happened with Boccoli. I, I think at the time when Boccoli had his buzz a year and a half, two years ago, would have been a good signing. I just think there's too many quality operators now. You know, do you put him in with Dave Allen? Well, I think Dave Allen would handle Boccoli pretty well. So what do you do? But then again, we could all be wrong. Billy Nelson could be 100% right and Bukoli's the second coming of Christ. The thing is, until he fights someone we can benchmark him against, we don't know.
0: Okay, Christian Orcon asks a bit of a bit out of date now, but still relevant, I think. Media question. In the week building up to the Fury fight, I heard Fury say no less than three content providers are on sorry, on less no less than three content providers, that Schwartz was ranked number two. Not one of the interviewers pulled him up on the insanity of that comment. Even if the WBO ranked him at number two, nobody in boxing agrees. I suspect not even in WBO. If Liverpool had been playing krell and Klopp had said Liverpool had the toughest test against the second best team in the Football League, the media would have a field day. Why in boxing do the content providers let these things pass? I can only imagine it's fear of being not granted access to the fighters as they have a lot of what is, uh, uh, they have a lot to say in terms of access. Um, uh, by sm- small independents not in the mainstream media, do they have a responsibility to ask probing questions without fear of repri- reprisal? It's difficult because if that reprisal is there, then it's. It, pff- Look, you, look there, there, there was always a threat whether they should care about it or not is
1: another thing I, I i think this is a question for martin to answer because he's more constrained by it than maybe i am and let me just explain what i mean by that i'm in this sport not because i'm friends with anyone not because i've done favors for anyone i'm in this sport because i happen to have trained people who have gone far and people respect my work that makes me a primary mover in the sport we've just talked about jonathan palata the supply line will only get meatier and thicker right so i can ask probing questions of people because even if you hate me and you go i want to fuck this guy off i start producing champions you got to come and talk to me and that's how boxing works. It's a relationship thing. So I'll give you an example. Something will happen in boxing and I might ring the guy involved and go, listen, I have to talk about this. How do I play it? That shows that I've got respect. So I'm going to ask the probing questions off the grid or if I think someone's talking out there, i like, mate, you can't say that. We'll do that off the grid. If you decide to do it on air, that's on you. You live with that. But Martin's in that horrible position because... That's why, look, that's why last week happened. You know, I've got some paper in my jogging bottoms. I didn't realise. I'm hoping it's money. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that is. If it's money, can I have it? I don't think you want it. It's probably come down from my ass. to be fair. It might be toilet paper. Depends how much it is. No, it's a a clothing label. It can go back in. You're putting it back in your trousers? Yeah, why not? um, Uh, Clothing labels for Christmas, not just for life. Right, okay. Um, Yeah, but no, so... But okay, so... No, so 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 Martin has Ring Talk 50 minutes every week where he can ask Steve really challenging questions. But he can't because Ring Talk doesn't exist for that. So he lives more with those constraints than anyone else that I know. And they're real constraints. And you like I'm sensitive to them to an extent because Martin, like, when I talk to people about Martin outside of us three as a podcasting trio, what they liked about Martin especially was he'd stick it to you if you were full of shit and he'd expose it and and that's cool but you have to be that way with everyone you can't say this person's show was crap that person's show was crap that was a disaster and then these shows happening at your call well just won't talk about them or they all good you can't like there has to come a point when you just you're honest about the limitations you have and what you can talk about.
0: Right, well, try and keep it generic, seeing as Martin isn't here to defend himself. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, so that's why I said it's more of a question for him. Right. Okay.
0: But and, but still, though, having said that, all right. So so, in your opinion, might give you his side of things, but do you not think it's fair to say that the fact that Fury is able to lean on, and this I think extends to the fact that he's talking about this fucking linear heavyweight ch- title as well. The fact that he's leaning on these two things to sell the fight—that Schwartz is ranked number two—and the fact that he has a linear heavyweight title—that so, nobody went. This is fucking bullshit. But it,
1: but so so this is where boxing excels. It's the ability to turn half truths into a topic of conversation. So I think Schwartz was ranked number two in the WBO, right? I I don't dispute that.
0: Yeah, but that could be done with a... someone having a conversation in an office and someone faffing about on a computer for ten minutes.
1: True. But but it's the reality. He can show you paperwork to say Schwartz is number two. So <laughs> these half-truths get parroted out. It's like it's like when Bellew tells you he beat David Hay. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> All right. Because he did it. He had an interview after the, uh, the I show. And he's
0: like twice. And you're like, Oh. yeah
1: and you're like fucking alright Tony all right. technically I suppose you did <laughs> yeah and so when he says he, all this stuff and it's the same with the lineal belt as well you know you have all of this stuff where well, it's almost hard to challenge him because you're like it's kind of true it doesn't make me feel comfortable but it's kind <laughs> of true <laughs> it's the
0: same when well, you think about it really it's the same with the uh, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world We've never had one that holds all four belts. What changed in boxing for three to become four with such <laughs> unquestionable prominence there has to be? And now some quarters are trying to make it five. You know, just it, it's, it's it's people writing the narrative themselves.
1: And it's tricky. So the people that we rely on as the... Custodians of the boxing discussion. So uh, IFL who? right? IFL Behind the Gloves Seconds Out Uh Raps on TV, uh EJ Boxing Live, The Boxing Voice, you know, all the main me boxing media outlets, those that we rely on, all derive their income from that content so once they're stopped from accessing that content they don't have a business they don't have any involvement in the sport that's what makes it hard so it's a horrible position to be in because when you talk to some of these guys like off camera or in private you get the real view but then they'll tell you look i can't say that because otherwise i don't have a business so you have to be sensitive and sympathetic to that to an extent but there have to come points when you know, we draw lines and go, come on, now you're taking the piss. Which I don't think many journalists do, and that's a shame.
0: Okay. Um, I, for, for what it's worth, I think, um, unfortunately, boxing is... Well, if you think about it, a, a lot of sports suffer from this as well. Football suffers from it just as much. Um, a manager will put something up about... I don't know. Make some crap stat or something up like that, and Sky aren't going to, Sky aren't going to question him. Uh, you know, after the match, they might ask him some pro questions. What do you think to this? Do you think your team pressed hard enough? And the manager will get really upset and fragile about it. But they never really sort of say, you mentioned this, or like not not to the extent that you're asking for Christian in in this message, i.e. Hold on, you said he was number two, when he's not. Yeah, but because because he is. But so remember, that you're asking that media organisation to say, yeah, but nobody believes that.
1: How many times did you see Fergie walk away from a press conference when he didn't like the questioning?
0: Yeah, yeah, don't get me wrong that that can also that can also happen, but that's usually that is usually a filmed version of and what my exception was the newspapers. The newspapers usually hold them to account. Wr- the written media normally. Uh, if you're gonna, ev- if anyone's gonna slag people off for making up rubbish,
1: it's it's. But you know why It's your newspapers because the media. I don't have to be there to write about a game.
0: Yeah, there's that. Yeah,
1: like I don't look, so I can criticize Hearn because I don't have to be there to do my thing in boxing. I don't have to be at Eddie Hearn's house to do this f- to have information for this podcast. I just don't. I don't rely on him for my source of information. So I can I can I can say what's going on here. And that's what we should all be aspiring to. Because that was the, the, the grund norm of this whole podcast movement. It was we were tired of being fed the scripted, pre planned bullshit. And we thought, let's lift the covers up on what's going on. So you have to remain true to that and keep asking those questions.
0: Okay, Mayor of Brixton asks what are your hopes and visions for small hall boxing? Do you think it prepares fighters enough to make the step up to a big arena and stadium fights?
1: So, on last week's pod, Martin talked about this, this very topic, right? And his view was fair play to you if you can make money because it's a brutal business. Yes, but no one has a right to make a living. You give the fans what they want, they'll pay for it. It's that it's that simple. Because we pay for other stuff. So the foundational element, and I'll speak I'll speak based on this. There's a lot of bullshit that's spoken about the small hall scene. So I'll hear guys say Steve Goodwin's the best small hall promoter in the country, right? Right? Let's just start with this but they've never been to anyone else's shows. Oh, we did Mickey Helliots, we did MTK. But I'm like, have you ever been to a a Phil Jeffries show up north? Have you ever been to a Mark Bateson show? Have you ever been to a Steve Wood show? Have you ever been up to see Bobby Rimmers shows in Blackpool? Have you been up to see a Hobson show? Have you been to the Harvey Haddon Centre in Nottingham? Have you been to see a Sanagar show out in the West Country? And most people haven't. So their perspective of what small hall boxing is, is skewed. I've been to all of these different locations in my time. Steve's not the best small hall promoter. And I benchmark it like this. In the time we've been doing the podcast, Andy, name me one Goodwin fighter who was boxing on Goodwin shows who's a mainstay of televised broadcasts.
0: Uh, I don't know one, to be honest. There probably isn't. Don't know, but then I mean, to be honest, you know, you could write what I know about small box or small yeah. boxing on the back of a stamp.
1: No, no, no but you would know if if someone from the Goodwin stable was now regularly televised, you'd know because Martin would be telling us.
0: <laughs> okay, so tell me, in the last what? How many four years been this podcast? Wait, wait, wait. So, so, so let those me, who have
1: no, and and so here's the reason I say that because when you look at a Steve show. His best fight is Wadi Camacho. Wadi Camacho has held the Commonwealth title. Fair play. Respect his career. I like Wadi. I, I like Wadi a lot. I like him as a character. I respect the fact that he's done boxing the hard way and the right way. But he was a Commonwealth cruiserweight champion. That that's the line. So Wadi Camacho on a Dennis no, on a Steve Goodwin show is the headline attraction. I went to a Dennis Hobson show where You had Tyrone Nurse. Tyrone Nurse has been British and Commonwealth champion. Josh Whale, he's at that level too. Tommy Frank had the belt. So that's a more stacked card in terms of just quality at the top. And then the day before that, there was a show at the Harvey Haddon Centre, Nottingham, where Echo Esselman, former English champion, former Team GB alumnus, was fighting William Warburton. Now, all you small hall guys know William Warburton as this guy that's meant to be extra durable and super tough. Brad Paul's never stopped him. Linus never stopped him. A lot of people have not stopped him in York Hall. Echo Esserman stopped him. And I say that to say that there are all of these guys that plow their trade, that ply their trade, sorry, on these small hall shows around the country. They're a higher standard of boxer than we get in London. They're a higher standard. All these XGB guys that, that end up on Jaffa shows like Lawrence Osweke, these are all class operators. So what I'm trying to say is, I'm not saying Goodwin shows aren't good. No, what I'm saying is, if you're benchmarking the small horse scene nationally, he's in the pack. He's in the pack with the Hobsons. He's in the pack with... These guys are all struggling. And they're not struggling to make money. What they're struggling to do is to get talent. And yeah, Steve will come here and tell you that. They're struggling to get talent because there are a lot of lads who drop out of the GB system, right? Osuweke, Troy Williamson. Uh, who else has dropped out of the GB system? Echo Esperman, Chris Congo. All these lads have dropped out the GB system, but they're good boxers. But they're now getting hoovered up by MTK. They're now getting hoovered up by Frank. So you're not leaving anything to trickle down to the true small hall guys. That's the challenge. So when Rob says, do I see any of these guys breaking out? Um, in reference to where Rob and I have common knowledge, I'd like to see Jerome Campbell do something. I think if Mo Garib can, you know, get that hunger back, he might be able to do something. They're the sort of talents from that Goodwin roster that can cross over. I have a question about what's happened to Linus Odofia. He's the guy that we all thought would be there now. We all thought Linus would be banging on the door for the opportunity. And I'd like to see him get it. But I don't know what's happened there. Big Linus fan. I really like Linus as a man, as a boxer, as a personality. I want to see him get his title shots. Because if he wasn't Frank, Frank would have done something with him. So that gap is just getting wider and wider because... Matchroom have got next gen. That's their small hall proposition. MTK have their small hall proposition, which is televised too. Frank has his small hall proposition, which is televised. You almost don't need these non-televised guys. Dennis is televised on free sports and whatever people want to say, look, the last Hobson show, I mean, he cleared. I mean, he did numbers you can't economically do at York Hall. Dennis did those numbers at Ponds Forge. You know, the nature of the deal that Martin talked about, not true. Just know that when rich people agree to do deals, they both end up richer. So Dennis is eating off this. The dudes at Free Sports are eating off. Everyone's eating off this. Don't worry about that. That's what I'm saying. So these televised guys here are killing these non-televised guys here because these non-televised guys are just selling to grannies, aunties and whatnot. These televised guys are courting the boxing fans that's the challenge i just i think in the next couple of years you won't be able to do these small hall shows without tv backing
0: uh, okay so just go back one step how many small hall promoters have had boxers in their stable that are now mainstays probably steve
1: wood be a excellent example but but then you go, well, does Steve manage him or does he promote them? But someone like a Steve Wood, Saniga, he's he's helped his guys cross. So there are guys who do it because they have access to pools of talent that drops out of high... I mean, so that's what it means, like... But what boxes have they managed? Oh, man, you've got to pull me up off the top of my head, so... Well, I'm just thinking, like, the only ones... The only guys boxers... At, guys, I... so, so guys like Flanagan are definitely small hall stalwarts to begin with, right? Terry Flanagan. So we know where he ended up. Uh, lad that Fowler Ford. Fitzgerald. You see, these sorts of guys here are guys that you see fighting in Legends. There's not many, is day. there?
0: There's not many out of small halls that go from the small halls onto the onto the big stage and become mainstays.
1: Uh, they either get picked
0: up by Hearn or Warren, or they just don't well, make
1: no, it. No, 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 that's what happens. That's exactly what happens. You box a bit on the small hall scene, and then they come and have a look at you. Now it's like, now you're, now you're into our developmental territory, and you now have to rise up that new hierarchy. That's how boxing's always worked. So Ritson's an example. Yeah? Lewis Ritson was just boxing on Northeast shows until he got his chance, and he stepped up. So it's, you know, do, he fought for a British title. Are we Are we then saying that so that's what you want as a boxer. You want to be with Phil Jeffries if he can deliver that for you. Do You see what I mean? Okay. So, so there were guys like I, I could do a more comprehensive list, but all of these guys like they all come out onto these small hall scenes. Like you know, Black Flash promotions will do a show. Their lads will prove themselves. They end up on a on a Frank Warren show. Like they, they're clear paths to access. And I'm just saying that other promoters don't seem to be having that considering the amount of noise they make
0: okay uh, lead Wright asks Great. what makes what makes warren the best at uncovering relatively unheralded prospects and building them um, e.g yard bowen and dubois um, this has been a common this has been a common trait that we've associated with him for uh, probably a couple of okay, years now so,
1: so, so here's my answer to riku one Everyone knew about Yard. It was just about whether you're willing to take that risk. Uh, the every risk, the risk being, can he translate it into the pros? So, no. so we'll go, we'll go, we'll go through the two that I know best, and that will it will make more sense. Anthony Yard used to train in the TKO gym, right? So Frank Warren used to generally have his fighters in one or two gyms. I think Johnny Eames had the TKO. I get my names wrong. And the Bowers had Peacock. They weren't that far from each other. But it was good to spread them out. Anthony Yard, Tunde, O'Hara, Little Junior, Big Junior, they all used to train out of there. So when O'Hara went to spa at the Sims gym and he was putting hands on everyone, they were like, right we might want to sign this guy for matchroom cool they all said what about this yard kid i don't know who who the guys at matchroom phoned for an opinion but clearly that deal didn't happen frank was like i'll have him because they'd seen him spar guys at oval mckenzie so he wasn't a secret and it wasn't really a gamble if you knew what you were looking for it wasn't a gamble because yard was slapping people about dubois was slapping people about inspiring he wasn't a secret either it was just a question of when dubois gets signed to a big name promoter not if the ones you're looking at are more these guys like archie sharp where do they come from how do they get their opportunity the truth is this is what frank's good at frank talks to the right people and his associates talk to the right people you know he has eyes and ears everywhere in the Southeast. Frank knows. And because he's experienced enough, he knows what he's looking for. So that's what happens with Frank. Now, when Frank lets it be known to certain promoters, if you've got someone good, I'll sign him. That's why Mo Pryor has his shows. We laugh at British Warriors, right? We laugh at the British Warriors thing. But look look at how many guys from the British warriors setup go on to be televised. We'll talk about how who's made it from the small hall. You know what? Chris Congo's on that fringe of being televised, and on do, he deserves to be televised. Andre Sterling's done it. Daryl Williams has done it. These guys have done it. You know where Daryl's fought for a British title, and Daryl was on the small hall scene. So this has happened. You know. Let's. I think it's worth reiterating that. But no, more importantly, Frank gets it. Hearn's not focused on that. Hearn is, and I think let's go back to an IFL interview where Hearn said, I'm only really interested in doing big events. That's what he said. He's only interested in fighters that can be pay-per-view stars in the future. Whereas Frank is more like, I like talent that will give me good entertaining fights.
0: Second question from Lead Wright. Is the room media sorry, is the mainstream media biased towards Matchroom and it's stable? If so, what are the ramifications?
1: Um, I think Matchroom are just better at engaging. They're more proactive. they get their name out, they make enough noise that Matchroom is all you hear. If there, anyone who on Instagram will know this. look at how many Anthony Joshua accounts there are, and they're all like AJ boxing. AJ Boxing 1, AJ Boxing 23, AJ Boxing's fans, AJ Boxing, uh, AJ Boxing Future, AJ Boxing Horse, AJ Boxing Ostrich. There's like there are hundreds of these accounts, and all they do is put out Joshua related propaganda. Like, I, I, I remember saying, I can't remember who I said this to. I said, by the time of the rematch, we will find it incredulous that Anthony Joshua lost that fight to Ruiz. That's how hard they're pushing this.
0: Uh, i think it's also to do with the fact that in the media and amongst the wider sort of public we crave a centralized competition that makes that makes sense like boxing is so fragmented that it it turns uh casual fans off it it turns away you know it, those people, there's people that don't like boxing. There's people that could like boxing if they just understood what was going on. <clears throat> and the landscape is so fractured that it actually inhibits people to be able to easily access it. If you're, if you're a football, if you're a fringe football fan, somebody says to you, right, you've got the Premier League and that's in this country. <clears throat> you've got La Liga, that's in Spain, and they can understand based on geography what you know what there is, and you can add on different competitions in addition to that. But with boxing, it's like, okay, what's going on boxing? Who's the best? (laughs) You know, what are they fighting in? What do the fights mean? And it's really, really difficult. I mean, one of the reasons that, um, when we started this podcast in the first place, um, and a line that we still adopt now is making boxing accessible. And you can't help, but every podcast you end up talking about, the, the current politics of boxing. But if someone turned on one of these podcasts for the first time trying to access boxing, you'd be mentioning names that no one's known before. You'd be reviewing fights and not giving a context as to where they sit in the, um, you know, analogs of history or whatever, because you can't. Every, the, the, each, each fight is a... The only, the only way that boxing makes sense is if you zoom far enough out <laughs> and you finally see some sort of pattern emerge. But it just doesn't make... So it makes... Going back to the matchroom thing, it makes sense if the media close in on matchroom because because they are the one of the... or if the biggest boxing set-up in the UK, it, makes, it would make sense if the media thought, OK, we're going to pump it into you because they are the closest thing that boxing has to something along the lines of a UFC, an amalgamated force that can come together that things can make sense with, even if it still doesn't make sense. Uh,
1: look, I guess it's why, and it's not perfect, but it's workable. It's why I like British title fights. Because that that's your closest opportunity to getting two relatively well-matched guys fighting for a meaningful title. Right? Without having to go through politics. Because it's just like, right, we want this fight to happen, we're going to put it out to purse bids. And sometimes you swerve, sometimes you don't. With the world titles, it's just a money game. And that's what turns fans off. Also, the lack of a natural season. There's no natural season and there are no natural high points. Football, we know in the next four weeks, is pre-season friendlies and transfer news, right? Hmm. We gear ourselves up for that. Then we get the first six weeks of the season where it's just a shitload of games and a bit of Champions League. We know that's coming. Then we get to December. We know it's a Christmas. We know all the key high points in a football season. Same with rugby, same with cricket. Because it's set out and it's structured. Yeah. With boxing, anything can happen at any moment. Yeah. And there's no there's no control, there's no rhyme, there's no reason. It's just, wow. This is crazy. Depending on what he
0: did and who he spoke to or whatever, De whole career could be kneecapped tomorrow by all the people managing him.
1: I'm not saying it well, will no. be. All the people managing Joyce wowzers how many people eat of joe joyce's check did you see how many people were there in the ring with him did it beat did it be aj's entourage well no aj's entourage i imagine are more like you know hungry ducklings just looking for you know little shreds of the worm this was like you had you had richard schaefer there you had adam booth there you had sam jones and adam Morley there i'm like how many people is Joe Joyce paying, and Al Heyman's in the back of this as well? So, like, how many people are you paying, Jesus? It's absolutely <laughs> insane. So, I wonder how much of his own money he gets to see. Um, look, there's an interesting video by Eli Seckback, and he interviews Roberto Garcia, and Roberto Garcia does a like a like an an overview of where Boxer's money goes. And he was just talking in terms of, look, if you make a million, this is generally where your money goes. This is what you should be doing with money. I think he gives some case studies of fighters that he's seen get it right and that he's seen get it wrong. If you can find that video, it's worth listening to.
0: Right, that is the end of our questions.
1: Did I oh, say no, you one? It's not, no, it's yeah. not.
0: Sam Khan asks, we've given Huey Fury the benefit of The benefit of the doubt um, regards the performance and prospect to the real heavyweight, to the real factor being the heavyweight scene. But doesn't Friday's performance show just how he isn't good enough? Couldn't challenge a 38 year old Peter at all. Yeah, it's so
1: brutal. But we've all waited for Huey Fury to give us that performance. We thought the Sam Sexton fight where he stopped him in four was the turning point. And we thought we we're going to see Huey Fury... dominate in the center of the ring with power shots. Because remember, they said to us... all the illness stuff is sorted out now. And I think in the build-up to this... Peter was saying... Huey needs to be more aggressive. That back foot style... is not going to work for us going forward. So I'm surprised that he reverted back to it. I don't know what lies in it. Um, maybe he doesn't want to box. Maybe ultimately that's what it is. He wants to do something else that's not boxing... I, I don't know. What I do know is at the moment, Huey Fury is not relevant in terms of heavyweights. We're not excited by any fight that he could be involved in. And they need to change that because he's talented and he's still young enough. So I don't know what you do.
0: Okay, moving on. Well, let's get a few more bits rounded up then. US shows, Mr. Tell.
1: Yeah, uh... so... Shakur Stevenson boxes again. So everyone knows Shakur Stevenson. Of course. 2016 Olympic silver medalist. Silver yeah. He yeah. you know, looked super talented. I think he's affiliated with Ward and is, yeah. Bob Arum. Class. Man. Stop. I mean, just the stoppage he got last night. Just being able to transition from a position of not having the dominant foot on the inside to switching back out to the dominant position and then just smashing the guy with a straight left. You know, I, I'm a big Shakur Stevenson fan. I know he's called out Josh Warrington for a fight. Um, a, you got to admire the balls on the lad. But B, that's what you want to see young, talented fighters do, just testing themselves as early as possible. So really looking forward to his career. You know, we're now starting to benchmark him against guys like Javante Davis, Devin Haney, which I think is fair. So let's see where he ends up. I'm just, yeah, I was when I saw the stoppage, I thought, do you know what? The way they teach their kids to box in America, we haven't cracked it over here yet. We're nowhere think, near.
0: On a slightly separate note, do you think Javante Davis is just too mental to have a solid career in boxing?
1: It seems to be endemic in the kind of Heyman stable where all these guys, and here's the thing, they, they look at Mayweather's later career and go, that's how I'm going to run my yeah. career. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But then you're like, no, no, go back to Mayweather's early career. Where there wasn't any of this. And he was just smashing people to pieces. Why? Because he knew to get the money he wanted, he had to work his ass off. Which he did. Do you think it was
0: an act with Mayweather as well?
1: No. No. Or do you
0: think that's how he is, the way he is?
1: Having met Floyd in person, it's not an act. What, the money thing? Not an act.
0: Well, no, no. So so, so
1: the the money thing is simply him turning the volume up, right? But he is a money guy. That's not a joke. But I think him walking around going, "Yeah, I've just got five million lying on my table." Yeah, that's fucking around because all that would happen is you'd get robbed, right? Well, you know. So I think I think there's bits of Floyd in that, but I think there's playing up to Instagram as well because he understands that's how you stay relevant. That's how that's how you become. That's how you're still the most famous boxer. You've been retired nearly two years.
0: Is he the most famous boxer
1: right now? Yeah. Mayweather could come back now, fight anyone, do the biggest numbers.
0: Yeah, it's hard to argue with, to be honest. Okay. Um, Robert um, Helenius well, versus Gerald Washington.
1: Yeah, strange fight. This <laughs> like two guys whose careers are going absolutely nowhere, right? Um, everyone thought Washington was up for the scrap heap. Ice is Hellenius with a straight right. Like, Hellenius is out on the way down, just basically falls asleep on the rope. It looks like he's snoring and like he almost woke himself up with a snoring. It was absolutely insane stoppage. I don't want to see Helenius box again after that. That was scary. And then I'm trying to think. Washington, pfft, I don't know, man. Like, do you really want to see him box? I mean, who do you put him in with now? He'd be a good fight for Dubois if they could make that happen. Actually, strangely enough, I think that one would be good. Uh then who else fought?
0: Well, well this uh, is the thing. Up to this point I've been a bit sort of a bit disengaged because this is what I've been waiting for. The big dog.
1: Boxing big royalty.
0: Boxing
1: royalty indeed. Prince Charles Martin. Charles Martin. I, I would have no aversion to Charles Martin fighting for a world title. <laughs> None and I Fuck off. And there's he's no terrible there's no logic there's no reason behind <laughs> it there's nothing intelligent i can Does say he to just turn up it. with a
0: crown on again and sprown shorts
1: um he just has to turn up there's something about watching charles martin box because he's never in a rush like it, it's all like it's in slow motion and it's all a bit like he learned to box on youtube there's all of these things that are wrong about charles martin but it all works because he seems to hurt people when he hits them. But I'm just a I'm just a Charles Martin fan. And I I can't even tell you why, but I will always watch him fight. If he came to the UK to fight, I'm buying ringsides just to watch him. And it's that rare and tangible thing some of these fighters have. Um, do we need to touch on Yoko as well?
0: Uh, you haven't got him on the list, but yeah, by all means.
1: Yeah, so t- Tony Yoker smashes the life out of Alexander Dimitrenko the guy that Ruiz beat earlier before he fought Joshua so now yoka's put himself in that kind of he's he's fought the benchmark guy now where we're like i think you have got to put yoka top 15 now you know couple more fights and it's going to be hard to ignore him but he looks yeah he just looks like the thing I, you look at yoka physically and you go he's not the most impressive looking heavyweight but when he hits people the reaction just seems different to the reaction other heavyweights get he hit dimitrenko knocks him out dimitrenko's literally hanging off the rope like at the waist half of his body's on the outside the ring half his body's inside the ring it honestly looked like they were trying to throw him out of the royal rumble it was a, it was an impressive win considering that yoko's been out for a year so hopefully he'll now give the drug testing people a full list of his whereabouts and we can actually see this guy progress because we're in an interesting position now where all these 2016 guys are lining up beautifully. Joyce, Jagba, uh, the Italian guy that they call the gladiator, Hergovic, um, Ivan Ditchko's on his way as well. All of these guys are coming through now and they're about to be a problem in the next 12 months. And Yoka has to be at the heart of that because he just looks the part. If he could speak English, he'd be a multi-millionaire already. And then shouts out to Suleiman Sissoko, who won again at light middle. There was a time when I wanted him to fight Anthony Fowler. Less sold on that now. Let's see who we can find to, to take on. But, you know, French boxing is experiencing this, this renaissance as a result of, you know, the investment they've made in their amateur program. And they're producing damn good boxers, super tough boxers. And, you know, I want to just see how far these guys can go. just want
0: to give a little... Well, we've spoken about doping on this podcast loads of times. Uh, PDs and whatnot. And I won't go into it now because, well, just based on my reaction, it bores a lot of people. But it doesn't bore me. It fascinates me. Um, so I want to give a shout out to a podcast that I listened to the other week. And it was actually thrown my way by Martin. But just look it up. If you're interested in it, it's the Science of Sport podcast. And it is the episode, Series 1, Episode 8. It uh, was broadcast on... Oh, it doesn't help, does it? Um, it was broadcast on the 9th of July. And it was utterly fascinating. Utterly fascinating um, about, about drugs in sport. And there's obviously... One of the blokes is a genuine, legit... Um, uh, sorry legitimately qualified to talk about it more so than we we have in the past and so the way when he talks about it it's just with such detail that it's yeah i couldn't get enough of it i think the the podcast was about an hour and a half long and i wish it had been 10 hours long it was it, it was refreshing to hear it spoken about without righteousness without the blinkers on because you listen to the bbc talk about it and they'll try and have you believe that, you know, there's a few people in sport that take drugs and it's just fucking ridiculous. But I just wanted to if you know if it interests you the way it interests me, I thought I'd share it. So
1: Listen, the the depths to which both sporting and recreational PD use go insane, especially in this country. The the number of women I know who are on various forms of growth ho- growth hormone releasing hormones growth ho- growth hormone releasing peptides mild doses of testosterone Anavar, winstrol and for some that's only occurring to them now that they're messing up their reproductive system so you know you see these women on instagram and they're looking in crazy shape and you're like i want a body like that you know they're women who envy this you know these women don't ovulate right like they can't ovulate it takes them months after coming off all this shit to start ovulating and normalizing again and there's a real like it's it's absolutely crazy what some of them put themselves through and and these are people who don't even compete for anything they don't get paid for anything they just do it to look good on the gram wow um so
0: yeah i just wanted to make that shout out and give people a chance to listen to what i listen to Was uh that was brilliant um Right, previews. Previews of... I mean, you have kind of touched on it, but White Rivas.
1: Um, looking forward to this. I have a feeling this fight will be more entertaining than people are giving it credit for. Well, I give it no credit, so it's got to yeah. be better than that. So <laughs> I, I'll i expect Rivas to, to aim for the right hand. So it's going to be interesting because Dillian Strong punches a left hook. Rivas' strong punch is the right hand. Tends to be quite disciplined when defending right hands, so it will be good. And you know, Rivas isn't a big man, but he's he's in he's in that kind of shape that tells you that he probably carries the same muscle mass as most of his opponents. Dillian, for me, I'm a big Dillian White fan. I think I think what he's done in his career has been absolutely brilliant. You see the work he does with Mark Tibbs, punch velocities up. he's hitting incredibly hard and you can see that the way he just talks his whole body into it. So I really want Dillian to win but I also want to be entertained in the fight. So I'm I'm buzzing for this fight actually and I know people have slated it and made fun of the ticket sales. I don't understand why you wouldn't go and watch this. I think in successive weekends we've had the two best cards in Britain for a long time. So I think we should rejoice in that and you know we should just smile and say look Sometimes we get it right.
0: Okay. Um Aziz versus Duffield.
1: Ah. Ah, man. It's a tough one. I like both guys. Dan, Dan's obviously closer to me. You know, another guy we shone lights on in this podcast before people knew who he was. That was like May twenty. Stopped clock and all that. <sighs> uh. <laughs> but no, Dan Dan Dan's a top guy. I I can see how Dan Aziz wins but he has to for me dan has to unlock that performance from in his mind it's one of the messages i've sent to him Where i've just said you need to believe you are the best light heavyweight in the world for the next seven or six days now because that's what it's going to take for you to win this if he can just remember the fight has to happen in the middle of the ring he'll give charlie all kinds of problems for charlie duffield to win He just needs to be backing Dan Aziz onto the ropes and then let those combinations fly. You know, Charlie is a big, strong, light heavyweight and he can box. Former ABA finalist, he's class. Both these guys can box. Both can punch. Both are tough and both have that heart. Dan's not going to give up. Charlie's not going to give up. And I'm looking forward to it. I'd like Dan to win because I think it opens up opportunities. But I can also see how Charlie could win, you know, And if you are going, just look out for the the Duffield fans because there's nothing more life-affirming than hearing you just go, Go, Cha! Go, Charlie! Oh, you jab, Cha! That's all you're going to hear for as long as that fight goes. Real real East London feeling. Hearing that he did 50 grand in tickets as well, so you know he's going to bring that back in. But that's a great fight. That's the kind of fight you couldn't make on the small hall scene. Because whoever... I mean both promoters would want that fight on their show. So that's the benefit of having, you know, that broadcast money. It enables these sorts of fights to happen. It's a great fight. Tune in for that. I, I, they better televise that. They better televise every one of these fights because it's what we need to see.
0: React poor, Billum Smith.
1: Intriguing. Uh, Richie's long. He's got that power. And then that, it's that life-changing power. In both hands. His jab's horrible. His right hand's horrible. Chris Billum-Smith, a bit more educated, more experienced, has done the ABA circuit year after year. You know, he's a class operator, came to prominence being one of the chief sparring partners for David Hay and George Groves. So he's definitely a McGuigan disciple. Shane loves him. Goes really well to the body. Developing his head movement and defense. So he's got that coming. For me, it's about who can extract the performance on the night. I I can see Chris chopping Richie down with the body attack. But I can also see Richie putting the hurting on Chris with the straight shots. So intriguing matchup. I'm not going to say it's a 50-50 because I don't believe it is. But it's a fight you want to see. These are the fights you want to see prospects going at it.
0: Alan Price.
1: Um, how good is Dave really? How good is Dave really? That's how I describe that one. You know, <laughs> this 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 mythical Price right hand. We haven't seen it for years. That Dave Allen liver shot. Can we see another one of those? It's it's a. Does it's that, a f- it does, if either wins, what the, does that mean though? They'll fight for the British, or they'll be mandated to fight for the British. Which would be interesting
0: yeah i mean nice to see one of them i think you know, i think yeah i agree with that <laughs> thinking out loud there i agree with the f- i i i'd like i'd like to see one of them become british champion well wife, they'd have to get
1: past it? daniel dubois to do so but all right yeah well we can we, everyone's <laughs> got to have dreams yeah <laughs> but no that that would be a be, be, it'll be an intriguing fight you know are the price stamina issues real you know Can David Price stretch it long enough to give Dave Allen a few doubts? I don't know. I can't see how Dave loses this, but then again, we I think we've been there before with Dave, so we'll see what the performance is.
0: Chisora versus Spiltska.
1: Um, so Chisora versus Arthur Arthur Spiltska. Remember when Wilder knocked out Spiltska? Spilka, sorry, not Spiltska. Spilka, and just left. Apparently, shot himself. Just left him. I we thought he was dead. And now Derek gets a chance to to kick the corpse, as as you know, as I like to put it. It's two guys who there's probably no forward momentum in either career, but if they really want to stand and trade, they could give us a hell of a fight. The we saw against Gashi that Chisora isn't really fond of southpaws, and Spilker's a southpaw, so I don't know, but then Spilker can be quite attacking, which kind of lends itself to Chisora's wild swinging style so we'll see um it could be a good fight it could be an absolute turkey which actually tells you nothing sorry i don't know why i said that
0: well it's time for you to go full terry mode any other business Down, 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 down. The little um, Guinness advert, with the horses galloping on the long with the com, 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 com with the waves. Com, 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 com. Right.
1: Tick, follow, talk, follow, tick, follow, talk.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to make this my last ever podcast. What? Yeah. Big news. AOB. Um, I probably wrestled with this for the last two weeks and, and the podcast last week happened. So I had to make sure that I wasn't reacting in the moment and going, "fucking, you know, oh, I'm under attack here. I had to just make sure it wasn't that. And I think I realized like, there's a number of things. There's a couple of mi- macro things and a couple of micro things on a macro level. I just think the game's changed. So when we came up and did our thing three years ago, not many boxers and people in boxing were doing the podcasts. Now everyone's doing them. It's hard to glean those original insights that we could share before. So that's getting harder and harder. It's harder to stand out now. Um, And we've worked hard to stand out. I also think as we've matured in the sport, it gets harder and harder for us to say what we really feel because we have vested interests. So I can see what's coming down the line for me in the next year, year and a half. And it'll be very hard for me to come on a show and be honest because I'll have conflicts of interest. That's the big picture thing for me, where I was like, at some point, I have to clean up my act boxing. That's the reality. On a micro level, just moving house and the travel, like the travel started to really take a toll. So... You're adding 35 minutes each way to my my trip, and you know what time we can finish here sometimes. And so by the time you get in and you're like, shit, it's eleven fifteen, I've got to iron shirts and get ready for work the next day, you 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 feel broken. So I have to be true to to that part of it, and you know, the physical toll caught up with me. And then there's the other element of you know, we've done everything we set out to do. We wanted to kick the chessboard in the air. We wanted people to understand that there's more to boxing than the bullshit they're fed in the media. We wanted to get people together and form a community. We wanted to do live events. We wanted to go to Manchester and do Groves You, We made memories and we helped people become friends and we brought them all together as a three. And I think we're in a position podcast-wise where it doesn't need me anymore you guys are i mean you guys are flying anyway and that's probably how i feel it's it's hard man i can't even look at you saying it cuz i'm like we've had like just 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 stripping the podcast side of it out man we've had some epic times together and i love you and i love martin more than words can say i'm so grateful that you guys gave me the chance 3 years ago to do this And I I refuse to let these second rate individuals like Steve Goodwin, these these men of no honor come between us and what we built and the memories we've had. And like, I look at you, Andy, as a man of honor. And I do look at Martin as a man of honor. I know people say, oh, have you guys got interpersonal tension? Fuck no. I really respect what Martin does because when the Goodwin thing was happening and people said, oh, Martin's attacking you, you know, my first thing was, I was like, I know Martin, right? Martin's default position is, I don't want anything to do with it, right? <laughs> I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I work, I've got enough going on in my life. I don't need you in my ear, Steve. I don't need you in my ear, Terry. That's that's why I didn't. That's why I didn't take it to heart too much. But I was like, Martin's just like he's just like, fucking just you lot just fucking leave me alone. So when people say he's a person, no, I love Martin, genuinely do. Like a lot of listeners don't see what goes on behind the scenes. So love the guy, he's a great man. Like you, you're a great man. I've loved Michaela, Ash, Erica, the other sister who's attractive, but I've never even asked her name because I know you get protective. <laughs> you know Kimberly. Kimberly, there and I- you began with the K. She's still with that waiter looking guy.
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the person you're referring to, she's still with. But okay, cool.
1: No, so I, I have, and I've I've loved it. I've loved the times we've had at your call. Don't forget the rest harvester. in peace, Harvey. I'm just looking at him now. You know, there's a picture on the wall. The people you meet, look: Rob Martin, Matt Skelton, Craig Scott, Richie. Uh, Richie Gray, shout out to Richie. A, a guy who I think has a massive future in boxing media. And I Andy, can you just see my eyes closed? I'm trying to remember as many people who have really touched my life. There are loads, like I've said, Rob Martin already. Riku, Jesus Christ, Riku, Porky. These are guys that there's a podcast in this real world and they're friends in the real world too. Brooke, uh, Mad Welsh Lauren. All these people, you know, and there are loads of names I'm missing out on right now. Danny Watley, um, Dan Glozier, Daniel Smith, all of these guys. I'm going to run out of names. So if, you, if your name's not on here, I apologize. And one of the people I have to Dave thank. Dave McGinley. Dave McGinley. Yes. Love Dave. But the person I have to thank the most, and this is the person who's listened to every one of these podcasts. She's listened to more than I have. And she listened to the ones before I joined, is Winnie. My improvement at doing this is eighty percent down to her, so I'm really grateful for her. And you know, she's she's kept me going. I she's going to hear this for the first time and go, "What the fuck? Why the fuck didn't you tell me?" But I've loved every minute of doing this. And I think back to my time at Double Jab. This is about three years ago. I never got a chance to leave on top. I never got a chance to leave when the fans still wanted more. This is the first time in ages I have a chance to go, do you know what? I've done what I set out to do. I can now step down. And people will remember that he was halfway decent at this thing.
0: I mean, you are on the New Age Boxing podcast. Remember that. I don't think anyone's going to think we're half decent, no
1: matter how good you are.
0: (laughs) The product drags you down.
1: (laughs) Nah. (laughs) Nah. Nah, come on, man. (laughs) Mate, you know what? This thing we've built, I can't wait until where it shows five years down the line and people go, we used to listen to your podcast. And because of what you guys did, we went off and did our own thing. That's the bit I'm waiting for. Because I know that there are people out there. Actually, quick shout out to young Ellis Cummings as well. Young boxer out of Wales that no one will probably know but he will speak every week and we talk boxing. And Jesus Christ, the kid's talented, can box. He's about to become a lawyer. The guy's really building a life for himself. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about that personal progression. So massive shout out to you, Ellis, man. When you're in London, we're definitely going to catch up. But all, I just, I love everyone, man. Like, it's a shame that it went tits up with like Sam O'Reilly because you know, Sam was a good dude, man. He just... He just didn't understand the rules of the streets, but because of that, man, you can't. You know, yeah. But you know, I still say fuck Rob Tebbit, That's the only one that I can't accept. Oh Everyone else, it's all love. You know, even Paul Hindley. I'll apologize oh. now to Paul Hindley. I was, I was, I was out of line with Paul Hindley, and I can, I can accept that. You know, like Tebbutt deserved it more than Hindley did. But shout out to all those guys: Porky, Dennis Hobson, man. You know, I know Martin gave Hobson a hard time, but Den's been a good role model in the sport for me. And I'm glad that I know Dennis Hobson. And I think whatever I do in the future in boxing, Dennis will be part of it. I've got so much respect for the man. He's been really good to me. And even though we have our backs and forths, man, and we're butting heads at the moment, Steve Goodwin, because in these three years, Steve and I have had some great times. I like to feel that the stuff Steve and I have spoken about is true. I've warned him about certain fighters, it's come true. I've told him certain fighters will surprise him, it's come true. We're falling out now over minor things, but in the years to come, this is nothing. So even Steve, man, you know, when you're you're in the entertainment game, you take a few risks and people take it personally. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we all got to see each other as men. And then it's about what that energy is when you meet up as men. But I can't I can't stress how grateful I am for all the people that have listened. From when it was two hundred and thirty-four people to what it is now. Man, I thank God.
0: Two hundred and thirty-five.
1: <laughs> I thank God for for what we were able to build collectively because none of us saw it coming.
0: Well, uh you didn't warn me about that
1: information. So I'm a bit shell shocked. I've spent a, I spent this whole podcast going, do I really want to do it? Do I really want to do it? Because, you, you know, a lot of times you can sit here and it feels really good and you're enjoying yourself. But I know there'll come a point when we all look at each other and go, I don't want to do this anymore. Because, look, <laughs> no, and that You didn't realise that it is
0: possible for us to do, okay, we don't want to do it anymore, that's it. You didn't have to throw your hat in at the, like... <laughs> in the anticipation of that feeling because it's not like you have
1: but, a year yeah. renewed contract. But, but it, it, it's, it's, it's all these small things and they add up after a while. Like, you look, you're, you're, you're in the nascent stages of a relationship that you hope will last for the next few years. You'd like a Sunday free. You know, the Martin would like a Sunday free. Yeah. She'll be,
0: McKenna will be delighted that you... <laughs>
1: No, I no, hope no, for it sh- to last a few years. Oh no, no, but, but it's it, it's all these things. It it will be nice to have Sundays back where I'm not under pressure to have watched everything that's happened in boxing yeah. and these sorts of things. I don't think people realize yeah. what this does to you. No I, no, I I I take your point. You live. Uh,
0: I didn't realize it was that much of a of yeah. a strain on you in terms of traveling, and that just reflects on you because you've never ever once made it anyone else's problem that you travel up you know just to sort of let everyone know that not once have i or martin picked up terry and he's gone this fucking traveling man does my head or anything like that it's always it's a, we all do our part and we've always wanted to do our part and i think that's the most that's the most important thing to to say for you here like at the mo if the the moment it becomes a chore, it's not worth doing because it, there is nothing left in it, other than the joy of it. And if the joy if the joy is being sapped by the drudgery, I mean, you 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 mention yourself like getting through the door at stupid o'clock. I can't that would be a, a pain in the bum for, for for anyone. Like for me,
1: you know, the latest uh, I've ever got home from doing this gone twelve twenty.
0: It doesn't surprise me actually, because some days. You know, especially when we've recorded late, we'll be recording until like, what, half past nine? Something like that.
1: Yeah, and then you get on a train and then they tell you there's problems in Watford and you just sat on this train and you're like, I'll do it all again next week.
0: Yeah, and it, and it's like the same. I mean, <clears throat> Martin has to leave his family, his wife and his yeah. family of 10,000 children. Um, and, he, and 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 I'm sometimes up until stupid o'clock. Editing. like it, it, fixing this podcast and then putting it out online i've got people on twitter going when's a podcast out half past 11 and i'm still uploading it knowing sure. that i have to get off of work at half past five yeah look but we do it because we love it and exactly. there's no one element of um there isn't an element of complaint there like i totally understand when people are asking for it to come out because you guys give us your attention you listen to podcasts and you i like to think enjoy what we what we put out there and yeah. and that's the way we love it and, and so i i i i i i'm still a bit shell-shocked if i'm honest but i'm also i'm also gutted
1: <laughs> but but here's the thing i don't i think people sometimes this isn't appreciated we've had very clear principles and principle number one is we do it in person wherever possible like i've I've come off a plane and Martin's picked me up from the airport to come and do the podcast, right? I think the last one we did by phone was when I was just in Italy and there was no way I was going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, the the Italian brandy incident. <laughs> you know, so we all, we've had that principle. You, Andy, have been adamant the audio quality cannot be shit. So we can't do it remotely. Like we can't just get like a, like a dictaphone and record ourselves talking. So there's always been that we've always had these things. And you know, Martin sets that standard of, we can't come in here half cocked with the knowledge. We've got to make sure we're on top of our shit. We've, we've all kind of brought these values. Somehow in. I've got under that radar. <laughs> it's your audio knowledge, <laughs> but no, essentially, hey, we've all done this and we've taken it to another place. And I know people won't admit it. It was guys like us that told... we well, are not even told, but we showed guys like Frampton that it's cool to do this. Guys like Tris Dixon that it's cool to do this. Because these three years ago, these guys were laughing at podcasts. But BBC Buncee weren't was doing laughing a, at podcasts. Yeah, BBC
0: weren't doing a podcast. I mean, Buncee had some half-baked fucking rubbish podcast yeah. uh i don't know if it was before or after it was around the it was same the espn time. one wasn't it <laughs> yeah with um the welsh boxer
1: barry jones yeah that's it uh yeah. barry jones
0: was on it and they used to do but it was fictional just... recreations of fights yeah. or whatever of, or not recreations but fictional creations of of old fights where they you know stuff i mean it was it was garbage hence the reason it stopped and then uh but now they they do the BBC podcast.
1: Yeah, we brought that reality to it where we said, nah, not only are we going to talk about boxing, we're going to give you a window into who we are as people. We've, we've done a lot whereby now other people will come through and hopefully they will elevate it and I can listen and go, Jesus, you guys are taking it to a new place. And I like to feel we did it without being trolling. That's what mm, the important the thing for me. And I tell you why I say this, Andy. I go to shows. I'm in gyms. I'm around people in boxing. No one has ever had an issue with us. No one. No one has ever pulled me up and said, mate, that shit you were talking the other day. No one, because...
0: Apart from my... uh, What was his name the live show? Spider. Craig.
1: But Craig's a good friend,
0: right? Craig is. He a, did ask a question. He didn't. He yeah. said, do you think what you do, guys do is yeah.
1: troll? Craig, Craig's a good friend. And he understands the role of this in helping people get over. Look, like, so Craig, Craig is trained. I know he's trained by Peter Sims, but there's a guy called Donald Smith who helps him as well. And it took a while for Donald to understand what this model is. But through us, guys like Donald Smith. So next time you see the big guy in the corner with Craig or in the corner with John Doherty, you look and go, that's big Donald Smith. That guy's a hell of a trainer with a lot of potential going forward. All these sorts of things are the things we bring in. Umar Sadiq, you know? There's another guy, Umar Sadiq, a guy that we shone a bit of light on because we liked what he was trying to do. I'm not saying we made Uma. That's not true. But we helped people become aware and understand why he was interesting and why he was unique, mate. We've done a lot. We've done over a hundred of these, haven't we?
0: Uh, yes. We. Uh, my last count, we've done approximately 130. I think it's 35, uh, and that is. I, I think it's more than that. But we uh, at the very beginning. <laughs> needless and not very interesting information here, but um, we uh, had to change laptops. And so therefore I lost something like <laughs> 30 pods, I think. So right. somewhere in the region of 160, I think. But I mean, I, I may stand corrected. And, and
1: of all of those, we've only ever pulled one. Yes. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> the less said about that one, the better. So. But, but that's, yeah, and that's what I mean. Like we've been pretty consistent and it's rare that we've crossed that line.
0: So, do we look forward to Terry specials in the future?
1: What on here? I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's the only yeah. one I can. Yeah. I look every so often, I, when I've got something to say, like when when I've got some some real inside dirt, man. I you know you get that message, guys. You'll never guess what happened, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But but I I knew spiritually. I said, like, you know, what? I have to stop. I have to I have to reconnect with boxing. I have to reconnect with myself, and I just have to. I don't even know, but I just have to reboot.
0: Wow. Terry Chapandama. I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say. It's never, it's Mate, never, nor, nor do I. Happened um, before.
1: But you know, people, <laughs> you know, you know, people are going to listen to this, right? They'll be like, yeah, it's all right, podcast." What? Yeah. Any other business? And they'll be like, yo, they'll, 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 all these fuckers will switch off, Right. <laughs> They'll yeah. all switch off as soon as there's any other business. Oh here he goes. Next. Yeah. And then I'll just read Twitter and go, Oh, I'll go listen to it again. So we'll double our views, hopefully.
0: So um do you have anything else to add? I and mean, that's pretty that's a bit of a that's a bomb there right there, dropped. Um, Amongst
1: the wreckage. Um oh, I love all of you, man. you know, above all else, Andy Martin. <laughs> Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you. You know, like, when I become a dad and I tell them about this phase of my life, man, you guys are front and centre in terms of that, you know? Us just being off our heads and fucking Milton Keynes and all that sort of... (laughs) Wow. We've had memories, man. Thank you.
0: Well, um, I'm actually gonna... I I don't have anything else to say, so I'm gonna call it there and uh, say goodbye to you off mic. But, um... Yeah, there we go. I'm sure we'll have uh Martin and I will cover this next week. Just <laughs> lag you off and, you're not on the and, pod and anymore. And Steve. Steve will come on. <laughs>
1: oh thank God, he's gone! He's gone. <laughs> Martin. No, I'm joking. I've just been nice to Steve. I'm joking. I'm just <laughs> it's all for theatrical effect. <laughs> there right. we go.
0: Anyway, so there it is. Big news of the week. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Yeah, right. I'm going to go because I'm shell-shocked. So thank you very much, everyone. See you next week.